Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Coming up on Squats and Margaritas. I got very lost in the world of calories, which is a very dangerous place to live. If I would go to a restaurant and they would tell me we're serving tuna tonight and I would order tuna, I would disappear to the bathroom for 20 minutes to look up in these books that I would carry with me. Well, oh my God, is it bluefin tuna? Is it yellowfin? Is it wild? Is it farmed? Did they add oil to it? I would inspect the tuna. I, I would take toilet paper to wipe off any kind of sauce on it. Yep. It got so out of control and I lived like that for so long. Hey, senorita. Really nice to meet you. Have some tequila and say, oh. First of all, squats and margaritas is like the best name for a podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I was always calculating calories and macros. And when I just calmed the F down, I found my my physical ideal. Am I addicted to moderate drinking? You're very subtly admitting powerlessness and unmanageability. And I'm proud yeah. of you. That's beautiful. Did you struggle with actual eating disorders? Anorexia and bulimia. Um, wow. Thank you for saying for me, that. Katie Couric. Nothing screws up a kid more than having a parent on top of that kid all the time. Kenya Moore. Before I take a shower, I would always step on scale. And I saw my daughter starting to do that. Like She doesn't know how to even read the numbers, but yeah. she saw me doing Actress Melissa Joan Hart. I remember the first time I was told I could be a movie star if I Who's lost weight? 10 pounds when I weighed 103. Pinky Cole, were you high when you came up with the name? I was very high. <laughs> this is Squats and Margaritas. This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's Jackie Goldschneider. You know her from The Real Housewives of New Jersey. She's a mom of four, including two sets of twins. And she's the author of the new book, The Weight of Beautiful, where she bravely chronicles her decades-long battle with anorexia and her very public journey to recovery. Jackie openly admitted her anorexia and sought treatment on camera on Real Housewives of New Jersey. If you've been listening to my show for a while, you know my backstory. I struggled with anorexia and bulimia, and this book was so beautiful, so well-written. It's for anyone that has struggled with food and wants to feel seen and not alone, or for anyone who hasn't and really wants to understand what it's like to live with this mental illness. Please do me a favor and hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode. That way you'll get an alert every time a new Squats and Margaritas drops. And please consider leaving me a review on Apple Podcasts. Here is my episode with Jackie Goldschneider. This has been a long time in the making, even before you were saying anything about the book. I was like, I just want to talk to you because oh. I relate so much. So I'm so happy that this all came together. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I'm sure that your team has prepped you that this interview is going to be a little different than other interviews because me too. Um, I struggled with anorexia and bulimia for over a decade. Oh, okay. No, I didn't know that. Yes. So so okay. much <laughs> that I want to get into. Yeah. It hits differently when you've experienced it. 
This book is obviously for anyone who has struggled with any type of food body image, but also anyone who hasn't and just is curious about what it's like to live with a mental illness that is an eating disorder. First, I want to say respect for writing it when you were in it, because I wrote a book about it 10 to 15 years I won't even say recovered because who knows the, who knows if I even am at this point mentally, but I was out of it and it was scary as hell. You wrote this, like still kind of recovering from it. And I can't imagine how scary that was. No, it was actually really helpful to my recovery because I had to come to terms with a lot of things that I didn't let myself think about. And I don't know that I would have had a thorough recovery if I, you know, didn't let myself think about those parts of it. You know, hundred percent. Yeah. So it helped. You said TV show like saved your life because who knows if you would have gone to recovery, if you weren't kind of held accountable by the rest of the world watching you do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just never followed through that. I would always wake up like once a month and be like this week, I'm just going to eat more for lunch one day and like try it out. And I would never do anything, you know, because it wasn't worth it to me to gain weight. I was so scared of gaining weight. And it's funny, like all those years that I had it, I knew in the back of my mind that something was wrong and I never really let myself think about it. But I always had this mentality of like, I'm too sane and normal to have a mental illness. So it has to be something else, you know? And you told yourself like every thin woman, this is what they do. Like you never said the word because you were like, this is just everyone that's thin. This is what they do. And kind of almost like justified it. Yeah. I want to start like with your childhood because I'm always so interested on how these things start. Like I'm a firstborn perfectionist and nothing was ever good enough. And I held myself to a very high standard. Your childhood, you were content with your weight, like pre high school, would you say? I was just like pretty like average. I never really thought about my weight as a kid. When I say kid, I mean before high school. Yeah. Um, I was just normal. I was sporty. So I was outside a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I ate what I wanted, but I don't remember ever like, like gouging and like gorging or whatever, the way, <laughs> gorging yeah. myself. Like I wasn't like eating all the time, like stuffing my face, you know, I was just a normal kid. That's what makes like, it wasn't a thing yet. The fact that you're like, I don't really know. And then you can go into the obsessing about it. You can tell it wasn't a thing, but your parents were very like into like health and fitness. And I'm sure you saw Um, that. They weren't into fitness. They always wanted to lose (laughs) weight. Okay. They always had like weight loss things around, you know, not in like a crazy way, but like my living room, like mixed in with like the Betamax tapes were like a whole load of Jane Fonda tapes. There was thigh masters. There was, you know, exercise equipment, even though they didn't really use it. There was always, there were calorie guides. There was all kinds of diets like sodas and diet foods and everything. So they weren't fitness enthusiasts. They just really always wanted to lose weight. Yeah. So it was like taught. And your mom, you said you remember her saying, I hate that God made me smart instead of thin. And she would have traded all her brain cells to be like the swimsuit model in the magazine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You saw that. And honestly, so did I. My mom was always on diets and it's all they knew. It's like what you did. And First of all, it's part environmental, but there's also a genetic component. And if you have a child that's genetically predisposed to an eating disorder and they're taught that like thin is ideal, it's like, how could you not 
go down that route. That's what you saw. Well, that's what scares the hell out of me now. And that's what I'm trying to undo, which realistically, I can't undo what I did because my, my children saw horrific things from me. But um, yeah, I mean, I saw that when you lose weight, you feel better, you look better, you like yourself more. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I saw. But I mean, that's not, I, mean, I have fabulous parents. Of course. They just, um, you know, back then also, there wasn't this priority put on like mental whole body wellness, no. you know, there was no priority on that. There was no like fat acceptance, you know, it was like, if you're fat, like do something about it. And your mom, like feeding you was loving you. You know, she had the guilt of like working. So she would almost like overfeed you to show how loved you were. And then you talk about a time where you were home a lot. They were working and you were just, there weren't a lot of kids around. There was a lot of food around. So you ate, it was just like what you did. When I was 13, my older sister graduated high school. We were in Staten Island and my brother and I were in the same grade. We're not twins, but he was held back a year. He's disabled. And so they figured well, one just graduated. The other two are starting a new school. Let's move. Um, and they'll start a new school in a new town. And I moved away from every friend that I've ever had. And I moved with my brother to a new development, a new house that was just built on a new street in a new development in a new part of town that was like carved out. And there was no one there yet. And I had, my parents worked full time. I had no rides anywhere. My older sister, I've always been estranged from, and she didn't move in with us. She moved into her own townhouse because she was 18. I was basically alone all day, every day. I came home from school on a bus, got off, walked into my house and just was alone. And I was so sad and so lonely and people at my new school didn't like me. And then I just started, I would just eat, you know, I would eat all day. I was an overachiever also. I wanted stellar grades so I could leave that town and never come back. Mm -hmm. And so I would just study and eat all day. And I started gaining weight really rapidly. And you mentioned your brother. You also had something else on you in high school. You were his protector. Can you talk about a little, just without getting too much into it, like just kind of what that dynamic was for you? And that was really hard. There's no one in the world that I, I mean, aside from my children, you know, like one of my children, that's how fiercely I felt like I needed to protect him. And at the same time, I was a new kid in a new school. And like, I was constantly busting up these like groups of kids laughing at his expense, you know, he didn't know that they were laughing at him. You know, they were cheering for him and he would dance for them and he would get on the tables and do karate moves. And like teachers didn't stop it back then. Um, Mm. And, uh, you know, it just made it that much harder to, to have to not have to, of course I would do it over and over again, but like to be in that position where nobody already, nobody liked me. And to then be like this person that was like telling them to stop doing things that they like to do, you know, it was just bad all around. Yeah. There was so much, God, you're just saying all that, like, that's what you were dealing with. Food was something that like brought you comfort was the, um, comment about when you're putting lipstick on, was that high school? Cause that seemed to be like a moment where you were like, Oh, these little things that people said to me in high school always stuck with me. And I have a very, very strong memory anyway. But um, him saying to me in the hallway, I was putting on lips, lipstick and he said, don't bother. It won't help. And he just walked on by like he said it like 
turned to me as he was walking by. This kid never spoke to me before or after that um, and just said it so casually. And it was something that stayed with me my entire life. And I always thought like, I'm not the person that you're looking at. This is not me. I don't know whose body I'm trapped in, but it's not me. This is not me. And I, the minute I went on that first toxic diet, I was like desperate to change. Desperate. Yeah. Let's talk about the toxic diet that your doctor prescribed. That's how yes. sick that is. Like your first starvation diet was prescribed because he said, you don't want to go to college fat. Yeah. He told me to go on Weight Watchers and Weight Watchers in 1994 was a starvation diet. It was yeah. called quick start. It was, God, I remember it vividly. It was like maybe 900, a thousand calories a day. And for a teenage girl, like that's not even enough to keep your organs functioning. Um, I was so excited because I had in my hands the answer for how to get thin. And I never knew anything about diets before. I mean, my parents never spoke to me about dieting. I never really looked at their calorie books. I didn't know what to do with them, yeah. you know? Um, and I had in my hands sitting in that first meeting, like instructions for how to be thin. And there was never another day of my life that I wasn't on a diet. He like gave you the playbook and you're like, Oh, I just yeah. do this. And you were like, a perfectionist. You're like, well, I'll just be all in on this. And you were, and you lost like 50 pounds in a couple of months. I lost 50 pounds from April of my senior year until I went to college, um, at the end of August. And then I proceeded to like ferociously yo-yo through college. So oh, yeah. I lost 50, <laughs> put back 30, came home for the summer, lost 30, put back another 30. I would lose, I would gain, I would lose, I would gain. I was always running back and forth to Weight Watchers. Yep. And you know, it's funny. Um, I, I still am in sessions every week with my dietitian and my therapist for re recovering from all of this stuff. And I'd say I'm about 80% recovered now, but I'm not all the way there. I don't have anorexia anymore. I've gained a lot of weight. My health is great. There's just little things left over that I need to get rid of, little habits. And she said to me, how are you feeling about Thanksgiving? And I feel fine about Thanksgiving. I yeah. eat very normally now. I enjoy myself. I don't restrict. But Thanksgiving, my sophomore year of college, because I was yo-yoing so badly, I came home that Thanksgiving and I was so disgusted with myself. And it was the only time in my life that I binge ate. Mm -hmm. I couldn't stop eating. And that's never been me. And it felt so bad. And I cried for four days afterwards because I was physically sick. I ate half a sheet cake. I never, ever have done anything like that before or after. And I, I just couldn't even button my clothes. And I remember thinking like, this has to stop. Like I have to figure out how to get thin. And that was always my goal. Always. As someone who was bulimic, I have to ask, how did it not go to purging? Like to get rid of it. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now back to squats and margaritas. Well, first of all, back then 
it wasn't on my radar to do stuff like that. Um, Anorexia wasn't on my radar and bulimia wasn't on my radar. But when I started anorexia, when I really realized like I've got to do something a little more drastic Mm -hmm. for something to stick, I was so hyper-focused on calories Mm -hmm. that I was not convinced that if I ate something and threw it up, that all the calories would come out. So it wasn't even an option for me. When I decided to go all in with anorexia, I was so hyper-focused on every single, I counted to the half calorie. Jackie, that is so interesting that you said that. I never went to therapy, shocker, because I get called on all the time that I use fatphobic language. I may not be healed mentally, but I wrote my book when I had stopped abusing my body. I say when I was bulimic, I was heavier than I ever was in my life. No one thought eating disorder because I was puffy and I had thrown off all my hormones. And I wonder, it probably wasn't getting rid of everything because I would eat half sheet cakes. I would eat gallons of ice cream and maybe I wasn't getting rid of it. I was puffy, bloated. Everyone knew something was off, but no one was thinking eating disorder because I wasn't thin. So yeah, there may be something to that. Bulimia scared me also. I did try it like once or twice. I didn't have an easy time doing it. I didn't like the way it made my throat feel. It just didn't feel like it didn't feel sustainable, like a long-term solution for me. I couldn't stop. Like it became something I fixated on like the next time I could binge and purge. When you talk about your high school experience, all I'm thinking is eating disorders do not discriminate because I had the high school experience. I was homecoming queen. I was prom queen. I was captain of the soccer team. I had like everything and nobody knew how much I was struggling in, in uh, high school was anorexia, but I almost felt like it was a lot to uphold. Like I had to be the homecoming queen and I couldn't get fat. I couldn't gain weight. So right. I had to be on and I, I wouldn't eat. I remember I wouldn't eat carrots in uh, high school because it was a starchy carbohydrate. I would come home from school and make myself nap because it was time that I wasn't eating. And I got mm. super skinny and soccer was like my whole life. And I ended up getting a division one soccer scholarship. But my coach was like, you're so thin that your crosses aren't strong anymore. So then I was like, well, shit, if it's affecting soccer, I have to eat. But then it was exercise bulimia. And what I would write down, you had post oh, yeah. I had note cards, shredded lettuce, five. Apple 80. And I would count them all up and it'd be like 300 calories. Then I'd go on my parents' elliptical machine, 300 calories, cancel it out exactly. And that is how I lived. Note card, cancel it out. And I would be in the dark in the basement where my family didn't know what I was doing and got super thin. And then bulimia didn't start until college, but the anorexia part, like we were both struggling and we had very different, like, it doesn't matter if you had like a positive experience in high school, like we both struggle with anorexia, having completely different experiences. Um, and when you, you say you gained 50 and then you lost and mine was a yo-yo as well, but when you lose, you get praise and you get validation and you say you get noticed. And of course you're going to keep going because you equate like gaining weight back to being unnoticed again. And it makes sense. So you keep going because people yeah. are validating it and saying that you look great and then you mm-hmm. can't stop. Mm-hmm. All those external measures of, of validation became really important to me. I had no sense of myself anymore. What I thought of myself didn't matter at all. I lost all of that. And it only became about what other people thought of how I looked and what other people thought of what I weighed. And, you know, I had always looked at everybody else growing up. And I always wanted to be like one of those super skinny, lanky kind of girls. And when I finally had that, 
I was so addicted to that identity because it had always been what I wanted. Cause I was so far away from that, you know? Yeah. And I like, I just changed myself, not only changed my body, but I changed my hair. I changed my, just my whole look. Like I didn't get any plastic surgery on my face, but like I got long blonde extensions. Um, I had like short, dark hair, right. Mm -hmm. I colored it. I wore really high heels. I was super skinny. Like I turned myself into the person that I always wanted to look like. And then I didn't know how to ever stop doing that. Exactly. Yes. You can't stop. And, And it's, it's almost like when people, call it out or something. Like you said, it's like kind of a sick validation. Like, oh my God, you're getting too skinny. You're like, yes. Like it's almost like they're noticing and you get noticed. And now you're noticed as the thinnest woman in the room and you weren't being noticed before. So it's, it's everything you wanted. Men would start buying you drinks and you're getting the validation. So you can't like, you can't get fat. You can't gain. Yeah. That was years after college, college. I really yo-yoed and then law school. I really yo-yoed. I was living in New York city, which made it all all the more worse. You know, I was, when I was in Boston, um, for college, there's a tons of college kids. No one's walking around super skinny. I mean, you know, we're all college kids drinking beer, going out late. And so, um, but when I got to New York and I was suddenly, um, out of law school and working and, you know, there were all of these, you know, really high fashion women all around me and like fancy gyms and fancy restaurants. And all I saw were very chic, thin women everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I was so aware of what I wasn't. I shared this quote when I was reading the book because it hits if, if the average person was a yo-yo dieter, I was a fucking boomerang flailing out of control between restraint and indulgence between discipline and mayhem swinging wildly through 20 pound fluctuations and sprinting through the streets to punish myself for my failures. And you were in Boston. The only difference I was sprinting through the streets of Ohio. That was my life. So you were like 27 when it seemed like it was like a profound, like I'm cutting fat. You just decided, oh, fat is making me fat. So I'm not gonna eat fat. What happened was I was trying every, every diet I could think of, and I was creating them myself because (laughs) the, you know, like the Atkins and the zone, I wasn't doing well on them because there were too many outside temptations. I needed something where I could eat whatever I came across, um, without having to stick to like someone else's script. So like, I would try to eat like really sick diets. There was yeah. no emphasis on nutrition at exactly. all, yep. nothing at all. Just trying to eat things that were diet, mm-hmm. right? So I ate nothing but tasty delight for a few months. That didn't work. It gave me very, very bad pains. Yeah. <laughs> um, I tried doing things like that. It was disgusting. And then um, I decided to try um, eliminating certain foods from my diet. And I started cutting And I lost a few pounds. Like I would cut out, I cut out cheese, I cut out eggs, I cut out soda, I cut out milk, I cut out, I started cutting everything. And then I cut out fat um, because I thought like fat must make you fat. Like that's what the word fat means, which is not true. I want people to understand. Right. And then in the course of cutting out fat, which started working really well, I noticed that fat was tied to calories. I started becoming very... Um, interested in nutrition, which if you'll notice a lot of people with eating disorders venture into 
becoming nutritionists because you are so hyper-focused on nutrition. You think you know how to be a nutritionist. That's right? what I wanted to be in college. So I could yes. control and a hundred percent. Yes. And there's a big difference between, I'm not saying nutritionists are not valuable. <laughs> they are, yeah. but there's a difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist, which is an important difference. But um, I thought I knew everything about nutrition and I figured out that, um, you know, calories, there's nine calories in a gram of fat. So if I watch my calories instead, then I don't have to worry about fat and I can eat whatever I want. I just mm -hmm. control the calories. And once you start doing that, and once I started doing that, I got very lost in the world of calories, which is a very dangerous place to live because, it's not an accurate science. No. And there's no way to know. I got so dogged down. If I would go to a restaurant and they would tell me we're serving tuna tonight and I would order tuna, I would disappear to the bathroom for 20 minutes to look up in these books that I would carry with me. Well, oh my God, is it bluefin tuna? Is it yellowfin? Is it wild? Is it farmed? Did they add oil to it? I would inspect the tuna. I, know. I would take paper now would take toilet paper to wipe off any kind of sauce on it. Yeah. I, it got so out of control and I lived like that for so long. Jackie, I didn't think about that. There wasn't like my fitness pal, like you had books, you had to right. carry around books to look things up. Books. I brought a 900 page encyclopedia of food values on my honeymoon to Italy. Oh, we're going to get to that. Cause there were some points in that. Let's get to Evan. I can talk to you yeah. for the rest of the week. So you're know, in me the too. mess when you meet yeah your now husband. Yes. And I have to say, um, when you're on the show, I having struggled, like I noticed, and I was like, how is Evan not saying anything? And I quickly learned that when you were dating, he did. And that didn't really go well for him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm so stubborn anyway. I had no interest in changing. I know I, I had no interest because I didn't let myself think about the health implications. I've always thought I'm young. I'm fine. People are way thinner than me walking around. I remember when I was trying to get pregnant, um, Nicole Richie had just gotten pregnant and I was like, well, she weighs 80 pounds soaking wet. Like I'm, I'm fine, fine yeah, you know? I get it. And so he tried to say something once. I went absolutely insane. You know, like it's one thing if it's your child, you could put a minor into a hospital. You can't do anything to an adult that doesn't want to change. It's very sad, but you can't. You know, and he just always let me know that he's there for me. He always made subtle comments, not about me, but about like, hey, if you ever want to just let loose and eat whatever we want this weekend and then next week go back to normal, let me know. And I mean, that day never came. I mean, it did eventually, but like during the course of yeah. my sickness, it didn't come. But um, he he did what he could. You made me think of this. Um, you said like everything was the same except this. You said you almost wanted somebody to be like, hey, like reach out if they were struggling, like to help you. I would I would have died. Like I would have been so defensive and I would be, yes. I, that would be my worst nightmare for someone to reach out. So talk me through that. Yeah. I remember this one instance where, and this is not in the book, but I, um, I was getting off the subway and I was coming up the stairs and a girl I went to college with who I was actually very close friends with in college, but I hadn't seen her in, um, six years or so. And, uh, I was very, very thin. And instead of saying hi to me, she just looked at me and she was like, Oh my God. Like her face like dropped and I thought to myself, 
oh God, is that what people think when they see me? And then she was just like, hi, how are you? And I was thinking to myself, like, this girl doesn't owe me anything. I haven't seen her in years, but all these people that just stare at me and know that I'm sick, I kind of wish one of them would just be like, listen, if you need help, I can help you, you know, but then, then I, I see people who are super thin and like, I don't know what to say. You know, you don't want to assume that somebody has a problem, but exactly. And you, you don't know, want to praise if line. someone does have a problem. Like that's why right. you don't comment on bodies. Cause you could be like praising someone's anorexia and right. that's why it's such a fine line. Yeah. It's so hard, but I would, I, I couldn't imagine people like calling me on it. Like that would be my worst nightmare. Well, but also it would be like validation, like that totally. it's working. That's like, what I ooh. used to think. Like when my mother would call my arms concentration camp arms, they were like, there was nothing on them but bone. And like, if I would turn my elbow like that, you could see every single bone inside my arm. And I liked it when she said that, because it meant that whatever effort I was putting into this, it was working. Yeah. When you're trying on your wedding dress and she was crying, you're like, I hate that yes. I hurt her, but it was almost like, oh, it was I'm great. really doing it well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I wanted you to share just like, this is another, uh, just like a moment where you can really like paint the picture of what this is like. Um, you describe yourself as skeletal when you got engaged the day you were going, you didn't know you were getting engaged, but the black and white cookie, like yeah, when you realized, first of all, the way that I used to eat this cookie was so disgusting. Cause I used to, there was so little food in my diet that if I found something I enjoyed, I used to savor it. Like, did you ever see like a, a toddler eating something so slowly. And you're like, my God, like, how could you eat something? So that's what I used to do. I used to pick like millimeter sized pieces of this cookie and eat it for an hour. It was my favorite thing in the world. Cause it actually tasted kind of normal. Mm-hmm. And on my way to what would be my engagement day, which I didn't know. Yeah. Um, I stopped in a diet food store it's on the corner of 54th and 8th in New York City. If anyone listening, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And I, I stopped there and I wanted to pick up some of the cookies. I went in and the nutrition label completely changed. Same weight cookie, same ingredients, but now it was two servings or three. I don't even remember. Yeah. And instead of just one serving. So it was like double or triple the number of calories and I lost my mind. I wanted to skip my, well, I didn't know it was my engagement day, but I was meeting somebody. I figured the only way to make up for it was just to run like, like 12 extra miles. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just didn't know what to do with myself. I was so upset. I was so upset. It was all I could think about. And that's what you're calculating on your engagement night. Like you get engaged and like, there was like champagne and you're like, well, I had the calories in the cookie. Like you can't, there's no being present. Like it takes over your entire life. And that painted such a picture. You just got engaged and you're like, how many calories were in that? Well, if I do one glass of champagne, then I won't eat a strawberry. And that is exactly yeah. what it's like. Even when we sat down after we got engaged, they handed me a glass of champagne and my bar, it's like, it wasn't even like something I had to think about. I automatically wrap my fingers around the glass to see what size the glass is. I hold my finger up like this to see how tall the glass is. Cause I know how to measure 
um, ounces. I see if it's a seven ounce glass or a 10 ounce glass, how high it's filled. I know what an ounce looks like in every type of glass. I used to study this stuff at home. Mm -hmm. um, see how far my hand wrapped around a sample three ounce portion, stuff like that. It is an all consuming, really horrible mental illness that really you, you can't just snap your fingers and get rid of. And that's what I wanted to do with this book was make people understand what it is because uh, the number of times that people told me, let me help you. I'll cook for you. Or my mother would say, let me just make you Turkey meatballs. Or people would say, just eat a burger. You know, it's oh so God. it's, it's, that doesn't even like scrape yes. the surface. Yeah. Yes. You definitely painted the picture. I feel seen. I it's making me think too, like then you, you have your wedding day and it's your wedding day. And all you're doing is fixating on, I'm going to have to bite the cake in front of people. Like that's what you were fixating on. Everyone's going to be watching and you had to take a bite a cake and like you lose your whole wedding day. Cause that's where your mind yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, cause it made me angry. I didn't want to be forced to eat. I, I didn't like food. Food was my enemy. Food had betrayed me and made me into a person that I didn't, I felt like I was living in somebody else's body. And now I didn't like food and I didn't want any part of it. Yeah. I wanted enough to stay alive and not fall down. And that's all I wanted. I prided myself on being the type of person who could go without food because for a very long time, I thought of myself as the type of person who only knew how to stuff herself. So now I was the type of person who hated food and I loved it. I loved being that person. It's a badge of honor that you earned. Like yes. you got yourself. I, I totally understand. And then you said, you're going to get better. You're going to get through the wedding. Then you'll get better. So you can enjoy your honeymoon. <laughs> I, I did not eat on my honeymoon. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Guys, I have found the magic. And who would I be to not share that magic with you? My loyal squats and margaritas listeners. If you are looking for a little extra something, maybe you're going out with the girls tonight. Maybe you have a date with your husband. Maybe you have a big work event. Maybe you just want to look bomb while you're out on your daily walk. You need Rejuvalift. Rejuvalift is a tightening clay that you just tap wherever you need it. Forehead, those little 11s between your eyebrows. I use it on the bags under my eyes, my crow's feet. You tap it wherever you need it. You let it sit in four minutes. And the results last for up to seven hours. Make Rejuvalift the first step in your beauty routine. Even before you put on makeup, I have tried it. I am obsessed. It is magic. And now Squats and Margaritas listeners can get 20% off at rejuvaliftbeauty.com using code margaritas. That's R-E-J-U-V-A-L-I-F-T beauty dot com and use promo code margaritas 20 percent off free shipping you're welcome now back to squats and margaritas you know i always had an excuse for something i found out before right before my wedding that i needed surgery when i came home yeah and so my excuse became well after the wedding i'm gonna have to recover from surgery after the honeymoon so i can't lose control on the honeymoon or else I'm going to be fat already going into the surgery. And then if I have to take days off from exercise. So I always made an excuse. There was always a reason to not stop. Yeah. A few months after my wedding, we went to Mexico. 
So when I would go to a restaurant, I would always call first. I would make sure that um, they would change things on the menu for me. And because it was only um, very, very specific things that I could eat in a restaurant, a steamed piece of fish or a steamed veg and a steamed vegetable. And there was nothing else. And so I would make excuses if I had to tell them I had allergies or whatever it was. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, if a restaurant wouldn't change something, I just wouldn't go to that restaurant. So when we went to Mexico, after we had already booked it, I called all the restaurants and they wouldn't change anything. They said, we, we, it's all inclusive. We won't change the style of cooking. If you're allergic to something, we'll take it out. But, you know, we don't change the style of cooking. And I, I didn't know what to do. I had like a panic attack. And so I just packed myself 36 cans of tuna fish, like little cans. They make pre-mixed. Yeah. Um, and, um, I lined them on the bottom of my suitcase and I brought that with me. It's all I ate. That's all I ate. Like hiding in a bathroom. Hiding in a bathroom. So I would order the meal and then I would pick at the meal and then go order salads with dressing on the side. And then I'd eat that in front of my husband. And then I'd go into the bathroom and I'd eat two cans of tuna and come back out. And then you come home from the trip. You have to have sinus surgery. They tell you absolutely do not run after sinus surgery. And what do you do? <laughs> The next day I was on my treadmill because I was so mentally ill. I yes. could not help myself. I get it. It wasn't like I made a conscious decision. I'm going to ignore the doctor and run. It was like someone telling you not to blink. I couldn't help myself. Yes. You can't not like the, the mental anguish of not getting in that run. You can't overcome like you have to. It, like it didn't well, matter I wouldn't let said. myself eat if I didn't burn off enough calories gosh. and I wanted to eat. Yeah. So I had to run. Oh my gosh. And then, so then you said there's always an excuse. So then you want to start a family. And I feel like you said you didn't want to have to like keep traveling and have to control the food. So it was just easier to just have kids right away. Well, my husband wanted to travel more before having kids, but yeah. traveling had become really unbearable for me because yeah. I couldn't control the food. It was every meal was out. I had very restricted behaviors at home that I was comfortable with. I had, um, I was freezing all my food and I liked to do that and I couldn't do that on vacation. Mm -hmm. So, um, it was so unenjoyable for me to go away and also I had a very keen awareness of my husband enjoying food and me not. And it, it hurt me to hurt him. And I could tell that he wanted me to share with him. I remember we went to Israel and we were in Jerusalem and everyone told us this place to go for hummus. And, uh, we went there and we brought home, we brought back to our hotel room, like this big thing of hummus with pita, just like a midday snack. And I didn't try any. And I remember so badly, he just wanted me to try some with him. And he's like, and he just, you know, like, I just remember that moment. I didn't put that in the book either. It's just all these moments of like, yeah. you know, like I, I just didn't like traveling because I was much more aware of what I was missing. That made sense. You know? I didn't mind skipping the traveling part in order to start a family earlier is yes. what I'm saying. Like, I always thought that I'd be over the anorexia by the time I had kids. Um, so we could, we could see the world together and enjoy things together, but, um, mm. it didn't go away yet. So I didn't mind skipping the traveling and having kids earlier. So you go off birth control and your period doesn't come back and nobody and is saying ever, ever. I haven't had my period in, in well, I had it when I was on the pill and then I haven't had it since 
2005. Wow. And nobody was saying it was like, you're saying it's obvious what the problem is, why it's not coming back, but no one was saying it. And you mentioned how doctors always mentioned your weight when you were heavy, like it was a problem, but never when you were thin. No one said anything. I was so thin. And I was one of those girls who would wear like a puffy winter coat in May. And no one said a word. I always had a diet soda in my hand. I was always chewing gum. I was always doing anything but eating. And nobody said anything. And like, I guess in New York, you know, doctors see plenty of thin women, but Mm-hmm. No. And my heart rate was so low. And all they used to ask me, was if I ran marathons. Jackie, that was, I'm so glad you said that. I almost forgot about that part. Bradycardia. When I was anorexic in high school, I went in, I think it was my pulse was, it was like 40 and they were like, yeah. Oh, you're an athlete. And it was again, like a badge of honor. I was like, they called it athlete's heart. Guess yeah. what? I did my science fair project on senior year in high school, bradycardia because I'm an athlete and I have a really slow heart rate. I was anorexic as hell, but yeah. no one said it. They were like, oh, it's, it was a good thing. Look how low your heart rate is. And it, I did my science fair project on it. Like yeah. I'm proud mm-hmm. of it. So yeah. I had that too. That was happening. And then finally, like somebody is like, why don't you try gaining 10 pounds? And you that said- was my, um, my gynecologist, my OB, because I was trying for six months, nothing and no period. That was the only thing he said was like, he didn't mention anything about like, whether I have an eating disorder or, you know, he didn't even give me any guidance. He was just like, well, before we start, he was like, don't worry about anything. Like there are clinics that could help you with this, like meaning getting pregnant. And he was like, before we do that, why don't you just try gaining 10 pounds? You said it was like, he asked you to cut your finger off. Yeah. That's what it felt like to me. It was like, not even an option, especially since I had the fertility clinic option. Yeah. Gaining 10 pounds was not even an option. I wouldn't even know how to do it. I couldn't do it. I would go to the store. I would pick things up and look at them and want so badly to buy them. And then just put them back down. I would buy things, bring them home, wait until they turned green. Like I couldn't, you get it. I couldn't eat. And you said pregnancy weight gain was your worst nightmare. It wasn't vanity. It was illness. And it's so clear. Like you're showing you wanted to, it wasn't like, I just want to be, it, it takes over your entire life. And you say also said the way people miss sushi during pregnancy was the way you missed anorexia. And yeah, I was just, like, I missed oh. that feeling. You know, I used to wake up in the morning and I used to suck in my stomach first thing in the morning. And I used to feel, and mm-hmm. if it, if it didn't dip down low enough in my stomach, didn't dip down low enough. And then on the way up, if I couldn't feel every single rib, if my hip hip joints didn't stick like pointy out, yep. I would go extra hard that day or I would run extra that day. Like there, I was so specific with the way that I needed my body to feel and pregnancy threw that off so badly. Seeing myself like without being able to feel, if you notice um, people with eating disorders do a lot of self-checking, body checking. Um, I was always checking myself Mm -hmm. and not being able to feel the way that I like to feel was really disturbing for me. Yeah, and then- you get, end up getting pregnant with two sets of twins <laughs> with IVF. Mm-hmm. Were they both born six weeks prematurely? Like they weren't, yep. so they had to take yep. both of them. Okay. Yep. And you fall in love with being a mom and you become obsessed with feeding them like perfectly obsessed. Yeah. I didn't know how, 
I mean, I, I had no concept of fullness and hunger. Yeah. Um, all of that like went away. I only knew how to eat or feed based on calories. So, um, yeah. I mean, this is how many years in. So I had my first set of twins in 2008 and I started this in 2003. So for five years, my head just was like in this place. And by the time I had kids, I had no idea how, to, how not to do that anymore. I was so warped. So I started counting all their calories and that's the only way I knew how to feed them. And if they weren't eating, like it was a big problem. Oh, I would, I was hysterical. Yeah. I was inconsolable. I, I thought, I was very afraid that doctors would come and take my children away if they didn't gain enough weight because they thought that I didn't eat. So like I wasn't feeding them. I was so scared of all of that. And then you used your mom at what was it? Four under three. I had four kids under the age of three. And you would just be like, well, I'm not eating or I can't come to this. It almost became like a crutch. Like you could be like, I can't eat or I don't have time. You would use being a mom of four to like get yes. out of things where you had to eat. During my eating disorder, I skipped um, tons of social events and activities. It's not that I didn't want to go out. I wanted to. I really wanted to be, you know, popular and accepted and have a lot of friends and go places. But I, I would skip a lot of things because I didn't want to have to eat their food. So either I would go and leave early or I would bring my food with me and eat in the bathroom, or I would just skip it all together. Right. And you said you didn't like hide your anorexia from your kids because they were too young to notice. Yeah. Have they said something now that like you're come through recovery, like that they did notice like, like, do you talk about that now? Yeah, they, they don't make so many comments. Um, they would say things to my husband, which I didn't know about. Yeah. They would ask him questions like, why does mommy eat like that? Why does mommy eat the same food all the time? Um, but it's the things that they got used to that they know that I normalized for them, which yeah. is what bothers me the most. You know, I normalized going out for a meal with them and not eating, going for pizza and getting water, going for ice cream and sitting there watching them. You know, I normalized all of these behaviors where they saw me not eating and um, they ate without me. And I, I hate, I hate that. I hate that they saw me exercise to the brink of exhaustion, that they saw me leaving vacations to spend, you know, a lot of time in the hotel gyms. I, I hate the things that they saw all the writing down that they saw all the tracking my food, all of it, you know, all the diet foods. I mean, I always had separate foods in my refrigerator from them. Now I don't, but they were always mommy's foods. And then the rest of their foods, you know, and mommy's foods were the diet ones. I do know. And I'm so glad you're saying this. I speak a lot to like women's groups, especially moms. And it is about modeling the behavior. Like you can say whatever you want to your kids, build them up, tell them they're so strong and beautiful, but they are watching you. And if you're in the mirror, like, or you're eating different foods or standing on a scale every day and either happy or pissed off based on what this little machine is showing you, it's not what you're saying to them. It's what you're modeling. They are watching you and you just hit it on the head. The other thing too, with my mom, like if there was a big event, love you, mom. I keep like saying that, but if there was a big event, she would go on a diet. And it's like, the more I think of it, it's like, you're showing your kids that a more valuable, like acceptable you is a thinner one. I have this worthy event. So we have to be smaller for it. And you just don't think of these things. I saw her doing that. It's like, well, there's a wedding. So we go on a diet. 
because you have to be thinner to be at this event. There's just all these little things that I think moms get the part right of hyping your daughter up, making her feel so strong and beautiful, but she is watching you and you are modeling it. And that is what I talk about all the time. I'm so glad you said that. So you end up in therapy, but not for eating disorder. You go to talk about a relationship with your sister and what happens there. You know, I never, I never like had any like reconciliation with my sister, but I was mm. having problems of my, my, with my mom. And I don't like having problems with my mom. And it was like consuming me. So I found a therapist on the Upper West Side. I drove in from New Jersey. I met with her once. We didn't really hit it off, but um, I made another session. I went back the second time and I just decided that we weren't really compatible. She wasn't really helping me. I was kind of like, I'm never going to come back. And as I was leaving, I I think maybe she sensed that was going to happen also. Yeah. And she said to me, "Um, do you have problems with food? And it was like the first time. And I was like, Oh my God. Like I froze. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I got very defensive. And she said, well, if you do here, I'm giving you this. And she had it already written out on her, on a card on her desk. She gave me the number of a dietitian who specializes in eating disorders. And I didn't know what to do with it. And I just figured, let me try to call her and see, and just see Mm -hmm. if maybe she could help me eat a little bit more. And, but, but I wasn't open to recovering. And I think that's a big piece of it. You really have to want to recover if it's going to work. And, um, I didn't want to recover then. I just wanted to eat a little more. And I figured out a way to eat a little more and gain a very minimal amount of weight. And once I accomplished that, I, I didn't put any more energy into, into recovery. And it was almost like you got like strategies there. Cause is that when, who gave you like the reward meals and you would just spread them out to eat in front of people? It it was like the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I had two meals a week where I could eat like normal foods that I didn't have to check the calories of. And I got used to that and my body didn't register a huge difference. And I probably because my body needed it, it needed it so bad. I mean, bodies are efficient and they know what to do with food. You know what I'm saying? So like my body needed the food. So, um, I didn't gain weight because it just didn't like, I was still operating at such a deficit. And so, um, but I would spread those meals out. So if I could have like six ounces of meat and like a cup of side at one of those meals, I would just spread it out like a tablespoon here and a tablespoon there and just all week. And it was just more calculations and more tracking and just would, it just became, I mean, if it was a full-time job before it was like overtime, it was horrible. And you could, like she said, you have a steak. So you'd like save it to be out with people be like, look at this steak. And it was like theatrical, yeah. like, yeah, I don't I have mean, an no, eating it disorder. Worked. It mm-hmm. really worked because yeah. when I wrote the book, a lot of people said to me, I never thought you had a problem because I've been out with you yeah. and I've seen you eat, you yes. know? So like, you never know what yes. someone is hiding in, yeah. in any kind of mental illness. You never know what someone's going through. Or how much work went into main, like making her think that everything was fine. Like that was a full-time right. job. But I also put on a show. Yeah. I would also make a show of it. Yeah. You know? Um, and then, so you're writing a weekly parenting column, you have a blog and you get a Facebook message from a casting director. So I started writing. I started, I wanted to become a journalist you should. and you're amazing. And right? I, oh, thank you. <laughs> and welcome. so in 2013, I started that because okay. all my kids were in school at and that then, point. 
I get the message in 2018. I had been writing already for five years. So at that point I had, um, uh, a column in, um, the second biggest New Jersey newspaper, but it was also syndicated. It was owned by USA today. So they syndicated it out to like other publications and it was online and it was, it was, you know, pretty popular. Yeah. And I was also writing for like the Huffington post and, um, a lot of other like scary mommy stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And so, um, people knew my name in the writing world and, uh, and I got a Facebook message from a casting director and, you know, it was like, I, the, the minute I got it, I thought about high school and I thought about God, I was so unpopular in high school and like, nobody knew me what a twist it would be for me to become famous right on like one of the most famous reality shows ever. Yes. What a twist that would be. Right. It was almost like inconceivable, but like at first I said no, because I knew my husband wouldn't want to do it. (laughs) But then I said yes, because I just felt like I just have to see if I can make this happen. I a hundred percent understand that I get completely. It's a plot twist and you can show them and be a celebrity, but all I'm thinking is, weren't you afraid that it would expose your eating disorder? More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this now back to squats and margaritas because they don't leave cameras at your house. They film you for very, um, very like structured periods of time, you know, so So you could um, manage it. I, I could manage it. I knew how to fool people by that point because I had these two meals a week that I could eat in public. I knew how to fake it. Okay. And the first cast strip, you try to get ahead of it and say, you used to have a problem with food. And then when you realize that they're kind of looking at more things, like you were saying, like your coffee orders were being like looked at. And do you think that in hindsight, bringing up that there was an issue at some point made them look at you, like look for things? Not the first year, the next year. Yes. Okay. Because they knew that it was already there in my history and there were things that I was doing outside of, so I knew how to eat meals, right? I knew Mm -hmm. how to fake it at meals, but if somebody offered me something during the day that was not at a meal time, I didn't know how to eat it Mm -hmm. because I was so structured, you know? So there couldn't be a calorie out of place. And I didn't, there was no world in which I could take a bite of a pastry during the day. There was no world I'd ever be comfortable with someone pouring milk into my coffee for me, you know? So those little things, once people started picking up on them, it snowballed. And it was like, they were looking for it everywhere, not looking to hurt me, but just looking for what else I might be doing. And, uh, I mean, it was once you open your eyes to it, it's very easy to see, you know, anorexia is one of those things where you don't have to see it if you don't want to see it in other people. True. But once you start looking, if you're looking for it, you can see it. I can spot somebody with anorexia very easily. I could spot them looking at them. I could also spot an eating disorder in a heartbeat from a mile away by looking at the way that somebody eats at a meal. You lived with one Um, for 18 years. (laughs) But I feel like in the past two years also, I've done a lot of work with eating disorder organizations and um, in recovery and uncovering like the horribly toxic habits that I used to have. And so now I'm so hyper aware when other people have them. So um, once people started looking, it was easy to see. Here is one question that like I wanted to ask you since you went on the show, like alcohol. 
Can you talk me through that? Like, how was that? Yeah, not, like, I know I'm not the getting... calories. I know the calories in every glass of wine, in every beer. I will only drink red wine, white wine, champagne, or beer because I knew exactly the calorie counts and the size of the glass. So I was comfortable with it. So if you saw me drinking something, you can be sure that I had the calories left in my day, that I skipped the calories the day before, or that I'm skipping the calories the day after, or that I skipped lunch. I did something to make those fit into my day. And I knew exactly what I was drinking. Exactly. That, okay. That makes sense. Or if you knew there was like a party that night, you just had already all day. Yeah. What I want to ask you too, Evan did not want you to come on the show. Then of course, what happens with him and the rumor, you said that you weren't healed, obviously, like but you were doing better and you relapsed when that happened. Right. So I, I use the word relapse really lightly because I, you can't I, relapse if you never recovered. I get but it. When, it yeah. It was the easiest word to, to use because I got even worse. So, you know, I was always anorexic, but there were times when like, I would skip the scale for a little while because I just didn't want to know if I knew I had to do something, I would give myself a thousand extra calories for like that event or like that weekend if I went away and then I would just make up for it. So like I would let myself be a little easier on myself if I had things to go to, you know, mm. I would tell myself I'll just skip like a little more next week or I'll run a little more next week. So I was like a little more flexible, but I was always anorexic. Um, but when that happened, I was so, I felt like life was so out of control because Evan was so upset and I was so nervous about how things were going to play out yeah. and play out in public. And I had a really hard time with the social media of it all that I didn't know any other way to soothe myself except to completely stop eating and to punish myself like that. You know, I felt like I needed to be punished because I caused all of this by insisting that he go on a show. And I, so I would, I welcomed the feelings of pain from starvation. Did anybody reach out to you after the book came out, knowing that like those rumors put you right back into that mess? I think that by the you. time the book came out, I was so past it, not because of time, but because of therapy. Yeah. In therapy, once I got myself into a place where I had gained weight and I was eating and I was out of danger zone in terms of health, we really had to go into, well, why would you do this to yourself in the first place? What went so wrong in your life that you chose to cut off like the source of your life yeah. in order to feel good about yourself? So we really had to start inspecting um, that kind of, you know, what, what dynamic that was and also letting go of that kind of trauma. So when I would think about high school, if I would think about, oh, all I want is to like be the popular girl. And all I want is, you know, to show that kid who told me about the lipstick to yeah. show him how pretty I am now. And all I want is this, if I'm hanging on to all that trauma, I'm not going to be able to let go of this eating disorder. It's always going to be waiting there. So I have, could prove to something to people, right? Yes. So I had to learn how to let go of all that trauma. And in doing that, I learned how to let go of tra trauma, like across the board. I let go of the things that happened to me on the show. I let go of problems that I had with people in the past. I let go of high school. I let go of all of it. Wow. And um, so by the time the book came out, I was over it. And my husband was over it. And like, we know what we have. We know we love each other. Right. There was never a moment where I was like, did he cheat on me? Like I knew that Not that was course. a sure thing, right. you know? And so I was, I was 
totally fine moving past it. Not because I forced myself to, but I was really just over it because of therapy. Okay. And to go to therapy, you had that rock bottom moment. You hurt yourself and you were trying to run through the pain and you're like, this is it. I'm going to say something to Evan. And then you make the decision to say it on camera and go to treatment on camera on one of the most famous reality shows. Well, first of all, I, I injured my hamstring and I was running through the injury and I like collapsed on the floor and I knew I was old enough. I was 45. I'd been doing this since I'm like 26. Yeah. And I said, if I don't stop now, it's never, ever going to stop. Like I have to stop at some point, you know, mm. I knew my quality of life kind of like I compartmentalized. So like my quality of life with my children was fantastic. My quality of life with everything that had to do anything with food, traveling, restaurants, anything was complete garbage. Yeah. And I just was like, I kind of want to experience life without that anxiety, you know, and maybe I'll just try it. And also I was kind of like, it's not like I'm 25 and looking for a man, you know, like (laughs) I've got a husband for 20 years. I'm also not like trying to be a sex. Like I always enjoyed looking attractive. I think that I'm pretty and everything, but I don't need to be like the hottest girl in the room anymore. It doesn't need to be my identity. I don't need to be the thinnest person in the room anymore. And so I decided, first of all, I ran upstairs and told Evan because I figured once I opened that door, I can't shut it again. Yeah. And deciding to do it on the show, I knew that I wouldn't stop if I was the only one holding myself accountable. So that, I mean, I certainly think you can recover without having the whole world holding you accountable. But for me, that was really, really helpful to feel like I was doing something extra good by maybe helping other people and not just helping myself was really helpful to me. And you said like you got cast on the show to be able to share this story. Obviously you didn't know at the time and give a story of recovery and hope that you so badly wanted. You mentioned a book on another podcast that I also happen to have. Portia de Rossi's book. I read that. And you said you read it so many times and it is a wonderful book, but you were like, but how did you stop? Like, where's the, there was no, there was no, there was no answer at the end. No, there was, she just stopped. She just got better. There was just no path. There was no guidance. You you know, wrote it. Yeah. And and I, you're helping. It's my guidance. Like I said, like I haven't abused my body like that in 15 ish years, but I still have the noise and I'm, I'm almost 42. I'm just starting to come out of it. I will not model these behaviors for my daughter who's seven. And I'm so grateful that I came out of it before I had my kids. And I just so much respect for you going through this, being so close to it. Cause I know how hard it is. And I know about the shame. We'll end it. Like if there's anybody that's listening to this and is inspired and is like, I want to stop this. What would you tell that person? I would say, first of all, tell someone you trust because people do want to help, you know, so you're not alone in it. So tell someone close to you that you trust, tell them you want to get help and um, ask for help. And then Google eating disorder therapists. Um, I do most of my therapy virtually. I I submit it to insurance. It's covered. Um, There are many, many therapists and dietitians who specialize in eating disorders who can really, really help you. Um, I would also say that, um, you know, really 
think about the ways that your life can be better without it. Like get your mind into that place because it is so much better. I wish I knew. I wish I knew how much better, you know, and I also wish I knew, I also wanted to give people a look at what recovery looked like on the other side, because I always thought that it meant going back to who I was in high school and the way I looked in high school. And like, that's not it at all. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a really, really happy in between. Are you coming back to the show so we can see the West? Like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I was, I'm part-time again this year, okay. which is great so we'll for see me. You. It works for me. Yeah, I'm in every episode, I'm, uh, even more than last year. Um, right. But, you know, part-time works for me this year. It works for Evan Goldschneider. He doesn't need to be like a mainstay in the drama anymore. The book is very present this season. My recovery is very present. So yeah. I love that. And then because the book just came out, what was that BravoCon reception like? Because people had read your story and then- So great. There was a lot of people who brought books for me to sign. Um, A lot of really positive feedback. You know, knowing that when, when someone would come up to me and say, you know, I read your book and like, it helped me so much. Like that's everything, you know, like I do believe that's my, that was my purpose in being on the show in the first place. You know, I wrote, my book is called from pain to purpose, finding meaning in the mess. And you said it a couple of times. And I was like, I just have to share that because I shared my story. I wasn't going to tell about my struggle. I was just going to help motivate women and a writing coach made me say it and release the shame of it. And now I talk about it so openly. Your book changed my life. It was so beautifully written. If anybody's thinking like, yeah, a real housewife wrote a book and you think ghostwriter, no, ma'am, no, 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 no. Wrote it myself. Nobody touched it, but me. Yeah. It's wonderful. And the book is the way to beautiful. You can get it wherever you get your books. Did I see there's a podcast? podcast just announced um me and jen fessler on my show with me um she's also like one of my best friends so um it's gonna be about all things like middle-aged women but like Love. you know we're spicy so uh, a little housewife stuff you know thrown in and it's gonna be good yeah it's called um two jersey jays it's on iHeartRadio. we are so excited you guys are gonna love it i cannot wait and if anybody wants more from you where can they find you um i'm on instagram at jackie goldschneider i um am on facebook at jackie goldschneider and i really don't go into twitter anymore but <laughs> threads I haven't been on threads in a in a minute either a lot. so And you have four kids, (laughs) reality (laughs) show, podcast, like you have a little bit on your plate. I am so grateful for this over hour that I got with you. This has been a long time coming. Thank you so much. You're great to talk to. Thank you for writing this. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Oh, thanks, Aaron. So good to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas.